Good morning to all the saints and welcome to our Family Bible Hour ministry. We once again resume our studies on the book of Exodus. And on this Lord's Day, our main text will be the 19th chapter of the book of Exodus. So if you have your Bibles handy, would you please all turn with me to that text now and we will carefully read it together. Exodus chapter 19 verses 1 to 25. In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai, for they were departed from Rephidim and were come to the desert of Sinai and had pit, pitched in the wilderness, and there Israel camped before the mount. Verse 3, And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bare you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee, and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people, and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that ye go not up into the mount, or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall be surely put to death. There shall not a hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. And Moses went down from the mount unto the people, and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day, come not at your wives. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning, that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount, and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the nether part of the mount. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire, 
and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai, on the top of the mount, and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount, and Moses went up. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. And let the priests also which come near to the Lord sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. And Moses said unto the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for thou chargest us, saying, Set bounds about the mount, and sanctify it. And the Lord said unto him, Away, get thee down, and thou shalt come up, thou and Aaron with thee. But let not the priests and the people break through to come up unto the Lord, lest he break forth upon them. And so Moses went down unto the people and spake unto them. May God the Holy Spirit grant us the wisdom to understand both the text before us and the message that has been prepared. In our last message on the book of Exodus, we studied the 18th chapter in which Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, was the primary character and his relationship to his son-in-law was the focus of our attention. We saw in that chapter how a proper relationship with the, within the family unit brings an abundance of blessings and consequently empowers the servants of God for faithful service. If the family unit is in disarray and dysfunctional, it becomes impossible then to serve God with any sense of purpose and direction, since our circumstances at home are a hindrance and a burden to our service for the Lord. On the other hand, however, if the family unit is fit and functioning properly, God is able to use each member to fulfill their individual roles, and together they produce a strong, faithful testimony, which in turn brings glory to God. Thus, because of their mutual bond of love and respect for each other, Jethro and Moses were vessels of not only great encouragement to one another, but also of great blessing. Jethro's counsel to Moses on judging the people's matters alleviated his burden and workload immensely. And as a result, Moses was able to devote himself to only the serious matters, matters which could not be settled by the other judges which he had appointed. We're told that in Exodus 18.22. The chapter then ends with Jethro returning to his own land. Now we come to the text for this morning's sermon, Exodus 19, verses 1 to 25. And the chapter begins by receiving Israel's exodus, by reviewing Israel's exodus from Egypt. We are told in verse 1 that this is now the third month since the children of Israel came out of Egypt. 
It was on the 14th of Nisan, and that is March, April of our calendar or our time, when they had had their first Passover. And during that night, they had been instructed to be prepared to make a sudden and a speedy exodus. That, of course, was that dreadful night in which the firstborn of Egypt was taken. Now, from what the children of Israel understood and told the Pharaoh in Exodus 3.18, the Lord had commanded them to go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But because of their murmuring and rebellious spirit, they now find themselves still in the wilderness in the third month, which by our calendar is June. That then works out to exactly 50 days from the day that they left Egypt to the day in which the law was to be given in chapter 20 of Exodus. This 50-day period is significant, of course, because it became the Feast of Pentecost, observed on the 50th day after the Passover. In the New Testament, the Feast of Pentecost was the day on which the Holy Spirit was poured upon the apostles of Christ, who were gathered in one accord in Jerusalem. But the Spirit of God descended upon them like cloven tongues, like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We are told in Acts 2, verses 3 to 4. This, of course, was exactly 50 days after Christ's death. So there they are, the children of Israel, in the desert of Sinai, having departed from Rephidim, we see them now encamped before the Mount of Sinai, often called the Mountain of God, Exodus 3.1. And while they are encamped at the foot of the Mountain of God, Moses goes up to meet with God. The Lord then instructs Moses what he is to say to the children of Israel. First, God reminds them in verse 4 what he did unto the Egyptians and how he bare them on eagles' wings and brought them unto himself. He wanted them to consider and to remember how he, God, supernaturally brought the plagues upon Egypt and destroyed their gods and their Pharaoh, and how he miraculously brought them through the great sea, causing the waters to part so that they could safely cross and how after they had crossed over to the other side, he drowned Pharaoh and his army. And he also wanted them to remember how he miraculously provided them with water where there was no water, and with quails where there were none to be found, and how he fed them with manna, the bread from heaven. And secondly, Moses was to inform them that if they would be obedient, verses 5 and 6, and keep his covenant, then they would become a peculiar people and a treasure unto him. For God had never chosen a people before to be his very own, and he to be their God. And if they would obey his voice, 
then they would become a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And after Moses had gathered the elders of Israel together, he laid before them all that the Lord had commanded him. And then in verse 8, we see the people's response. All that the Lord hath spoken, we will do. However, as we shall see later on, the people were not able to keep their vow. They were profoundly inept at keeping the law and were so rebellious to the Lord's commandments that he called them a stiff-necked people and threatened to consume them unless they repented. But alas, that is the sin nature, isn't it? We're all prone to doing the same thing. Often we find ourselves in a difficult situation and make a promise or a vow to do or not to do something. promise, or we change our minds, having reconsidered all things. And to a holy God, there is nothing more detestable in his sight than lying. Proverbs 6, verses 16 to 17 tells us, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, etc. And oh, how Israel would suffer because of their disobedience to their God in the ages to come. There has never been a nation or a people who suffered such persecution, such suffering, such affliction, pain and sorrow as the Jewish people. And some of that was because of their own disobedience and rebellion to their God whom they vowed to obey. But much of it is due to the fact that they are God's chosen people and have been promised so much by their God. And the enemy of all people, Satan, the great serpent, is the main instrument of the hatred and violence directed at this nation. His war against this peculiar people has neither ceased nor slowed down, but rather has intensified the closer we get to the close of history. How else do we explain the animosity and the violence against Israel by every single nation in the world, even by nations who know nothing of Israel's history nor standing with God? Anti-Semitism is prevalent in every corner of this sin-ruined world, it is nothing short of supernatural. And so as we come back to verse 8 in our main text, we see that Israel has vowed to do something that no one is capable of doing, to keep the law of God. And consequently, God instructs Moses to approach the mountain of God where he would converse with Moses so that the people might hear and believe. Then Moses was to tell the people, first, that they were to be sanctified today, and tomorrow they were to wash their clothes. Then on the third day, they were to wait and watch for the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai, verse 11. Secondly, Moses was to warn the people to not cross the boundary 
established around the mountain, neither were they to go up the mountain nor touch the border of it, for surely they would die. Whether man or beast were to cross that border, then they would be stoned to death or shot through. And thirdly, they were not to approach until the trumpet sounded loud and clear. Moses descended and instructed the people to do exactly what God had told him to say. And please notice the symbolic importance of their sanctification or setting themselves apart for God. They were to thoroughly wash their clothes, thereby symbolizing that they were washing their souls by repentance from the sins which they had contracted in Egypt and the sins which they have committed since as well. They were to also abstain from intimacy with their wives so that they would be totally devoted to their worship when they met God. Then we read in verse 16 that on the third day there were supernatural signs in the morning. There were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. Verse 17, And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the nether part of the mountain. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai, on the top of the mount. And the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount, and Moses went up. What an incredible scene and day it was, a day which would be remembered and related to generation after generation. Here we have a picture of a church gathered before the Lord, perhaps in all likelihood seated around the mount of God at the feet of the Lord. The thunders and lightnings introduced God's entrance among them. The thunderings were the voice of God, while the lightnings were the fire of God speaking of his judgment. The top of the mountain, which served as the pulpit of God, was covered with a thick cloud concealing the Lord's actual person, but surely revealing his presence there. Not only were the people awe-stricken and trembling at this sight, because they now realized their guilt of sin before their God, but the mountain also quaked greatly. Habakkuk 3.10 tells us that the mountains saw thee, and they trembled. Oh, dear friends, do you see how frightening it will be for the lost sinner to stand before a holy and a righteous God on Judgment Day? All his or her sins will be judged with righteousness that day by fire. No one will be able to stand before the Lord at the white throne judgment seat on that awful day and hope to receive mercy. All the lost, all who rejected Christ and his sacrifice, for their sins, will then have to face him on that awful day and receive the just reward 
of their sins in the eternal lake of fire. Oh, I trust that all who are listening to this message today have seriously examined themselves and have truly repented of their sins and trusted Christ and Christ alone as their Savior. And if perchance you haven't done so already or are not sure that you have, won't you do so now before the end of this sermon? For tomorrow may be too late. Verse 21. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. And let the priests also which came near to the Lord sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. Please notice three things in these two verses. Here we have the people of Israel all gathered at the foot of the mountain, beholding the most awesome sight ever witnessed by man. And God sends Moses back to charge, to command, to warn the people once again to not cross the line, otherwise they will perish. There was a line over which they were not allowed to cross. As there is a line in our lives which we dare not cross, or we too will perish. Do you see the hopelessness of the sin nature? They were given such an amazing opportunity to witness the presence of the Lord and to see Moses communing with him, though through a dark cloud. But that was not enough. They were wanting more. They would have broken through the safety barriers, so to speak, at their own peril. Curiosity sometimes is a good thing, but at other times it may cost us our lives. And secondly, Moses presumptuously tells the Lord that the people have already been given strict orders that they do not really need any further instruction about their intruding into forbidden territory. This, of course, reveals a weakness that even great men of God have, the na naivety, the the feeling the knowledge of it can't be. This is the human flesh. Just as we are prone to assume the worst of intentions of our fellow man, especially our enemies, so too are we often prone to assume the best of intentions of our friends and our family. Just because we would not do such and such a thing is no reliable indication that others wouldn't do it also. And so God sends Moses back down because the Lord knew their hearts, their willfulness, and their presumption. If Moses is allowed, why not us? And then thirdly, we see the grace of God demonstrated here in his sending Moses back to the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze and many of them perish. They were in their infancy of knowledge. They knew very little of the holiness of God and that the sinner cannot stand on holy ground. It would take much patience by God to teach them these things. He would later instruct them these truths through his laws, his ordinances, and his statutes. 
But for now, they would simply have to keep their distance. For God, we are told in 2 Peter 3, 9, is not willing that any should perish. And in Ezekiel 33, 11, that he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Thus the Lord firmly replies to Moses in the next verse, verse 24, Away, get thee down, and thou shalt come up, thou and Aaron with thee. But let not the priests and the people break through to come up unto the Lord, lest he break forth upon them. Go back down, Moses. You and Aaron will come back up to meet with me another, another time. In the meantime, you make sure that the people and the priests don't come any further or else I will be forced to destroy them. And herein is a lesson that we sometimes have difficulty in learning. God always warns the sinner before he brings judgment. He always gives them time to repent, to wake up, so to speak, and smell the coffee. But if there is no turning from his sin and wickedness, then God must bring judgment. His holiness demands it. We, on the other hand, utter idle threats when we are crossed, and as a result, our version of justice never accomplishes its intended goal. And perhaps that is the sinner's greatest stumbling block, isn't it? He compares God to man. He sees that he can get away with his crimes in man's justice system. That if he is smart enough, then the human judges and authorities can't know about his crimes, and therefore he will get off scot-free. And more often than not, he does get away with it. But, says the Bible in Galatians 6-7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. God, who is sovereign, omniscient, om omnipotent, and omnipresent, present, sees everything and knows everything. And whatsoever he says he will do, he will do. The greatest error that we can make is to compare God to man. By doing that, we automatically remove all of God's divine attributes and substitute in their place all of man's sinful characteristics. No wonder people have trouble understanding how God could sentence a wicked, unrepenting sinner to an eternity in hell, or how God could choose to save all sinners through the shed blood of his son Jesus, leaving absolutely no other way to be saved. For the Bible tells us in Isaiah 55, 8-9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so the 19th chapter of Exodus ends with verse 25, with Moses going down from the mountain to the people. This then brings our message to a close as well, and Lord willing, we will tackle Exodus chapter 20 next Lord's Day and the Ten Commandments of God in our next sermon as well. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, we thank thee so much for the word of God that we have in our hands today. And we're so thankful that it is divinely preserved as well as divinely inspired. For if it were not divinely preserved, how else would we know the will of God and what he has in store for each of us? Help us, Lord, to study this word diligently, faithfully each day, and to look forward to his coming to take us away to be with him. Part us now, we pray, with thy blessings, and keep us from sin, we pray, for we ask it always in his name and for his glory. Amen.